If you guys will, if you want to, you can turn with me to Second Kings. As I already told the kids, we're going to be looking this morning at King Hezekiah's story. Forgive me for sitting down behind this screen. I'll move over a little bit so some of you don't have to look at my face through this. Well, some of you still may have to, but it is what it is. So, um, I want, I really wish we had time this morning to just go through every little bit of King Hezekiah's story. We don't. I mean, it goes on for, for chapters. There's so much in this. I spent time reading and studying some commentaries, uh, but I do want to focus on, I, w- I do want to highlight some parts of his story. So the very first thing we're going to look at this morning is Hezekiah, excuse me, Second uh, Kings chapter 18, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7, first of all. 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 7. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Now, let's stop there for a second. 25 years old. I'm teaching... A class this morning, and in, in, in the young people uh, have a, a, a nine-year-old and a twelve-year-old. And I say to them, King Hezekiah was just a young guy when he started his kingdom. And literally, the nine-year-old looked at me and said, he was old. He's 25 years old. But he served the Lord as king of, Ju- of Judah from age 25 to age 54 when he died. So for 30 years, approximately. He was the king of Jerusalem, of Judah, excuse me. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. Hezekiah removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. Now, to remind you of what Nehushtan was, there was a point in the Exodus where the people of Israel were being um, bitten by snakes. And so Moses had them craft a bronze snake and they erected it up on this pole up in the middle of the assembly. And if any point somebody got bit by a snake, all they do is look to the, to the bronze snake that was lifted up on the pole and they would not die. And God miraculously brought healing to these people. Well, in this situation, we're told that by this time in Israel's history, they have begun to worship that bronze snake. Instead of using it as an icon to remind them about who God is and what God does, they had begun to actually worship this. It became an idol to them. And so Hezekiah was like, "Ah, it's out of here and destroyed it. And that's what he did. We don't, we don't have it here. If you go and read some of the other parts of his story and other parts of the scriptures, you see Hezekiah in his early days as king cleansed the temple, reestablished worship that had fallen by the wayside under his previous, uh, under previous king's uh, leadership. Literally, they had a seven day festival that turned into 14 days. Because God was so present and God was moving in such a powerful way. And they're like, well, let's just keep this thing going. This is what Hezekiah is known for. 
He was committed to God. He loved God. He served God. He obeyed the commands. Now we're back at verse 5 of chapter 18, 2 Kings. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. He held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 7, And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. And we're going to stop there for just now. He held fast. He didn't depart. And the Lord was with him. What an incredible legacy. What an incredible, incredible thing to be known for. You know, years ago, I was told um, that if something is important, you want to hear it. You, 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 you. If something is important, you tell somebody. But if it's imp- but if it's really important, then they get told two or three times. It gets repeated over and over and over again. Well, in in this book, the the Bible, Hezekiah's story is repeated in three different places. So they don't tell every fact, they don't tell every part of his story, but Hezekiah's story is so important that it is repeated three different times. Now, we just heard about the the, the situation about uh, where, where King Sennacherib was coming from Assyria and he was trying to intimidate Hezekiah and and the government and trying to get them to succumb and to give up and and he and literally if you if you look at the history literally the Assyrian king Sennacherib had literally come and just wiped out all of Israel northern Israel he had started to wipe out Judah and he was he'd set his eyes on Jerusalem and if you know the history at all Ruth you've been there I think you've walked in that tunnel haven't you You've heard of the Hezekiah's tunnel? Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? King Hezekiah literally said, and it's in the scriptures, he literally said, we have to stop up the spring, which is outside of the city, that used to feed the city water, and we need to reroute that so that the water comes up in the city instead of outside of the city. And so they literally dug a tunnel They started at the south end and the north end and they met in the middle. It was an incredible feat of engineering. And you can to this day still walk in that tunnel. King Hezekiah was an effective leader. King Hezekiah was wise. King Hezekiah was a follower of God. And it says right here in verse 7, he prospered in everything. So when Sennacherib got there and tried to take over the city, he couldn't cut off the water supply to Jerusalem. Because King Hezekiah, in his wisdom, under the leadership of God, I'm sure, had already rerouted the water so that they got their water supply directly into the city and they didn't have to worry about going outside the walls of the city to get their water. God took care of them in miraculous, crazy, amazing ways. And when this letter from Sennacherib is presented to the king, he reads it and he's just like, 
Because the reality is, Assyria is in a world leader. Assyria is taking over the known Middle East. And so, so Hezekiah does the only thing he knows to do. He walks into the temple and he lays it out before the Holy of Holies and he says, God, this is beyond me. I have no hope of standing against him other than through your power. So what would you say, God? And literally, I didn't tell the kids this because it would have been totally inappropriate to tell little ones. But Isaiah speaks a prophecy against Sennacherib. And remember I told the kids that the enemy left the next morning? Well, the reason they left was because 185,000 of them woke up dead. Seriously. The entire army has surrounded Jerusalem. Sennacherib standing there going, We are going to take you over! And God goes, I don't think so. Imagine waking up and every and on either side of you there's a dead body. And so it says, and Sennacherib and the army left. I love how it says, I love how it says, verse 35 of chapter 19. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, there were all these dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of his God, his sons came and killed him with the sword. God promised Zechariah that he would take care of it because Zechariah put his hope and his trust in God. And then Zechariah continues in his walk. And around... Around age 40, 39, 40, something like that, Hezekiah gets sick. The Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 20, he literally is sick to the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, comes to Hezekiah and says to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then, as I, then Isaiah turns around and walks out. And Hezekiah, laying in his bed, after hearing from the prophet of God, declaring a word over him saying, God has already said it, you're going to die. Hezekiah turns his face to the wall, it says, and he prays. Lord, Please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. It says, and, Isaiah, and Hezekiah wept bitterly. And even before Isaiah had gotten out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, go back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears and behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Syria and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. 
And Isaiah said to the servants, bring a cake of figs and let them lay it on the boil that he may recover. And Hezekiah says to Isaiah, can I have a sign? Is there, is there some way that, that you can ask the Lord to give me something to hold on to? You've given me a promise that in three days I'm going to be healed and going back to church. But can I have something to hold on to right now while I'm in my sickness? Please. And Isaiah asked the Lord, and the Lord said, sure. So the Lord says through Isaiah to Hezekiah, I'm going to give you a sign. And I'm going to even let you choose how this sign works. Do you want the shadow that's brought from the sun to go down the steps, 10 steps? Or do you want the shadow to go back up the steps, 10 steps? Now, we don't have a point of reference, but there's an actual archaeological, I mean, excuse me, an architectural feature in Jerusalem where there are these steps. And the shadow that's cast by the sun hitting a building moves down the steps as the day progresses. It's kind of like a sundial. And so God says, do you want me to make the shadow move faster than it's supposed to? Or do you want me to make the shadow go backwards? And Hezekiah's answer to Isaiah is, well, if it goes in the natural way, then I don't know that I could truly believe that. But if it went backwards against nature, that would be a pretty significant sign. I could believe that. And so he says, I'd like you to go back up the steps, 10 steps. And Isaiah says, sure, God will make make that happen. And it happened. It happened. Now think about that. God either had to move the sun or God had to twist the earth back in its axis to make that happen. But something miraculous beyond any human's ability happened. Why? Because a righteous man prayed to God and said, please, please, I need you. I need you. I know that you've declared that I'm going to die and I don't want to die. And if it's at all possible, please don't let me die. And God says, okay, I'm not going to let you die. It's a good word. But I'm still struggling a little bit here. Can, can, can I get a sign to hold on to until you actually bring about that which you said you're going to... Now, God heard Hezekiah in the moment he prayed. Literally, it says Isaiah didn't even get halfway through the courts as he's leaving the castle or the palace when God turned him around with an answer. So God literally heard and answered instantaneously this prayer that Hezekiah prayed. And then Hezekiah's like... Uh, Can I get a sign? And God didn't scold Hezekiah. God didn't chide him. He said, sure, that's easy. I can make this happen. What do you want? Tell me what you want. I'll do it. This would be wonderful. Thank you. Wouldn't it be great to have that kind of intimacy with the Father? To know that when you turn your face to the wall and you're, you're, you're pouring out your heart that he hears you and in that instant he answers you and he sends a prophet to come and speak over you. Wouldn't that be incredible? 
And that you don't get yelled at for asking for a sign because you're not exactly ready to receive the word. All of that is great. And God didn't do anything. God, I mean, it is biblical to ask for a sign. Look at Gideon. There's nothing inappropriate for saying, God, I'm struggling with this. Could you give me something to hold on to, please? I want to trust you. I want to believe in you. I want to believe, take you at your word. But could you give me something, something to hold on to? Sure, I can do that. Not a problem. He doesn't chew him up. He just says, sure, let's make this happen. But remember I told you Hezekiah's story was told three different places in the Bible. The third place in the Bible is Second Chronicles. Well, it's in Isaiah, uh, so you'll know. Isaiah 37, 38, 39. You can look at that on your own time. Second Kings 18, 19, 20, blah, blah, blah. And then... Chronicles, Second Chronicles 32. And that's where I wanted to turn as we're, as we're winding this up. Second Chronicles chapter 32. If I could get my fingers to work this morning. Alright. Same story. Same story. All the things going on. Sennacherib comes and Sennacherib blasphemes and the Lord delivers Jerusalem by killing off the people and blah, 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 blah. And then in verse 24 through the end of the chapter, verse uh, 33, which is the end of the chapter uh, 32 in 2 Chronicles. Let me start this again. 2 Chronicles 32, verses 24 through 33. There we go. In those days, Hezekiah became sick, was at the point of death. He prayed to the Lord. He asked him. And he asked, he, God answered him and gave him a sign, but Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem, but Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord didn't come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made for himself treasuries of silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, for all kinds of costly vessels, storehouses also for the yield of grain, wine and oil, stalls for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds. And he likewise provided cities for himself and flocks and herds and abundance, for God had given him very great possessions. This same Hezekiah closed the upper outlets of the water of Gihon and directed them down to the west side of the city of David. That's that tunnel we were talking about. And Hezekiah prospered in all of his works, and so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, not Assyria, Babylon, who had been sent to him by the king, Nebuchadnezzar, to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, the moving of the sun, up, I mean, back up the steps. God left him, Hezekiah, to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all his good deeds, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, in the book of the king of Judah, and blah, 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 blah. But it intrigued me that verse 31 in chapter 32 of Second Chronicles, it says, God left him to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. 
And I thought about that. I was like, what in the world would that be? Because see, God has already honored Hezekiah and in his word declares that Hezekiah was one of the greatest kings that Judah ever had ever known. There wasn't a king before him. There wasn't a king after him who was so wholeheartedly dedicated to God and serving the Lord and following all the commands and God honored it and blessed him. God heard his prayers and answered in the moment. God set prophets to speak words over him. God did miraculous signs. God did healings. God did everything that needed to be done to bless Hezekiah and his kingdom. But God pulled back for just a second and said, I'm going to see how you're going to do this on your own in this one area. Let's see what happens. And the reality is that was the thing that was the thing that kind of opened the door for Babylon to know how rich Judah was and made it something that they really were interested in. And ultimately, after Hezekiah's death, a couple kings later, Nebuchadnezzar, who's now risen up to be the world power, comes and takes and destroys the temple. And we know the story. Carries everyone off. And I'm not saying that any of this wasn't God's purposes and God's plans. I'm just, but what I'm hearing here is an interesting little thing. The, the story of the healing and the story of the, the steps and the story of the, the letter being laid out before God, all of that is real and all of that is true. But the thing that Chronicles highlights is the envoys coming from Babylon and how God literally pulled back a little bit and said, I'm going to see how you can do this on your own. And he literally, the chronicler literally says Hezekiah had an issue with pride. Look at all this stuff I got. Look at all this stuff I got. If you go back to the story in Isaiah, Isaiah says to Hezekiah after the Babylonian envoys leave, so what were those guys doing here? And and Hezekiah goes, oh, they came because they heard about all the stuff that God did. Isn't that cool? People from Babylon heard about me. Isn't that amazing? So what did what did you do while they were here? Oh, I showed them everything. I showed them how God has blessed. I showed them all the money we got, all the resources we got. I showed them how we are so powerful and strong because of God. And Isaiah's like, y'all messed up there. <laughs> you really messed up. You you you, you don't understand. This is going to be a problem in the future. Oh, it's not going to be during your time or even some of your kids' time. But there is going to come a time when this is a big issue. And you know what Hezekiah's response was, if you read it in Isaiah? He was like, I just heard a word from Isaiah saying that I'm going to have peace in my time. You didn't hear the rest of it. Hezekiah. Now, this is a guy that's in love with the Lord and honors the Lord, and he's a, he's a, he's a good guy. But in this one moment, somehow, some way, he let down his guard. Somehow, some way, his focus came off of the Lord and on himself. The words pride came in. The words, I don't want to say arrogance, but almost a little bit of arrogance. And, 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 and I, I, my question for me was, because when Roy asked me this morning, what was my theme? It, it's not so much a theme as it's, I, I feel that there's a sense of caution. 
And as things have been going this morning, I've been hearing God being praised and blessed and glorified. And what I hear for me, not for you necessarily, but for me, is to not stand on that. Not saying, God's blessing us, we're paying our bills, and we're seeing new people, and all this cool stuff. God's word that he spoke over us years ago is coming to be. No, what I'm hearing God say to me is, you keep your face in the carpet, boy. You keep your face in the carpet. You keep that letter laid out before me. You keep saying, you are my rock. You are my provider. You are my source. I will not take my eyes off of you. I will not start looking on the blessings. I will not start looking on how I am being blessed. I will only keep my eyes on you, O oh God. End of discussion. That's what I'm hearing from me. Now, you can take whatever you want from this. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But what I'm hearing, and it's not a theme, it's just for me a caution. Don't take your eyes off of God. Don't let the blessings distract you. Don't just keep your face on the ground. Keep your heart humble and continue to declare you are my rock. You are my source. You are my healer. I mean, I, I honestly was frustrated this morning because I wanted to have the Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah Sikhanu to point to on the walls as I finished my sermon this morning. Because it's all about Him. It's all about Him. And so I encourage you, as you go home and as you go into your week, Remember we prayed during our prayer time about that one thing. Trust Him. He'll answer it. But don't look at the answer. Don't look for the blessing. Just continue to walk in trust and keep your eyes focused only on Him. Only on Him. And the blessings will continue. But the focus has to stay on Him, no matter what. Let's pray.